Good morning, Alex and friends. Today is Friday, June 23rd, 2023, and you're listening to Alex's News. Today in Riverside, California, we can expect a high of 77.5 degrees and a low of 63.0. Turning our attention to the headlines, world leaders gathered at the Paris summit to pledge billions towards fighting climate change and addressing post-COVID debt. Meanwhile, the Biden administration has appealed against a Texas ruling, leaving the fate of DACA in the hands of the Supreme Court. Also, President Biden is set to sign an executive order protecting birth control access amidst concerns over a recent Supreme Court ruling and reproductive rights. Stay tuned for all these stories and more on today's episode of Alex's News. Our top story today takes us to Paris, where global leaders and organizations recently gathered for a summit focused on climate funding and addressing the post-COVID debt burdens of poor countries. Joining us now with all the details is our correspondent, Antony. Good morning, Antony. Good morning, Connie. Yes, the summit in Paris saw world leaders making significant announcements, pledging to unlock hundreds of billions of dollars for the fight against climate change. One of the key initiatives discussed was the plan to secure billions of dollars in matching investments from the private sector. That's interesting, Antony. Can you explain to our viewers how this plan involving the private sector is expected to work? Certainly, Connie. The idea behind this move is to leverage the resources of multilateral development banks, such as the World Bank. The banks are expected to find an additional $200 billion in funding for low-income economies by taking on more risk. However, in order to achieve this goal, wealthier nations may need to provide more financial support. I see. So it seems like a collaborative effort between multiple stakeholders. Besides the private sector involvement, what other key elements emerged from the summit? Well, Connie, the leaders also highlighted the importance of fulfilling a long-overdue pledge of $100 billion in climate finance for developing nations. Optimistically, they expressed that this pledge was finally within reach. The final summit document called for development banks to ensure that each dollar of lending is matched by at least $1 of private finance, which would help mobilize an extra $100 billion in private money for developing and emerging economies. That sounds like substantial progress, Antony. Were there any criticisms or concerns raised about this approach? Absolutely, Connie. Climate activists have expressed some criticism, feeling that the reliance on private investments and development banks might not be sufficient. However, it is important to note that this announcement does represent a scaling up of action against climate change. That's a valid point, Antony. The summit also touched on the issue of debt relief for poor countries. Can you tell us more about the discussions around that? Certainly, Connie. The United States and China in particular displayed a conciliatory tone, signaling their willingness to work together on debt restructuring for developing countries. However, there were still disagreements among the leaders regarding the best approach to handling this issue. I see. Lastly, Antony, the summit statement mentioned the good likelihood of finalizing the $100 billion climate finance pledge within the year.
Can you elaborate on the significance of this pledge for developing nations? Of course, Connie. While this pledge falls short of meeting the actual needs of poor nations, it holds symbolic importance. It highlights the failure of wealthy countries to deliver on their promised climate funds. However, the commitment to fulfilling this pledge and the discussions on debt relief signify progress in addressing the urgent needs of vulnerable countries. Thank you, Antoni, for that insightful analysis of the summit in Paris. It appears that the world leaders' collective efforts aim to address both the climate crisis and the economic challenges faced by developing nations. We appreciate your detailed report. Thank you, Connie. It's been a pleasure to provide an overview of the key elements discussed at the summit. Welcome back to our morning news podcast. Today, we have an important story regarding the Biden administration and its ongoing legal challenges regarding immigration. To shed some light on this matter, we have our talented news reporter, Ellie, with us. Ellie, could you tell us more about the current situation? Thank you, Connie. Absolutely. Currently, the Biden administration is facing legal challenges regarding the Obama-era policy known as Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA. This policy is designed to protect young undocumented immigrants, often referred to as Dreamers, who arrived in the United States as children. Now, in July 2021, a federal judge in Texas ruled that DACA is unlawful, potentially putting the entire program at risk. That's certainly concerning. So what is the Biden administration doing to address this situation? The Biden administration has decided to take the Texas court ruling to the Supreme Court, appealing the decision in hopes of preserving the DACA program. They understand the significance of this program, which provides protection to over 800,000 young undocumented immigrants. This crucial decision now rests in the hands of the Supreme Court, where its fate will be decided. Interesting. Can you explain the ruling's impact on the DACA program? Absolutely, Connie. The federal ruling issued in Texas instructed the Biden administration to stop granting new requests under the DACA program. However, current recipients, the Dreamers, are still allowed to remain in the program and renew their work permits. It's worth noting that this program was created through an executive order in 2012, making it vulnerable to potential reversals. Under President Trump's administration in 2017, DACA was suspended, which resulted in legal battles. That adds some context to the situation. So, has the Supreme Court previously been involved in this matter? Yes, Connie. The Supreme Court intervened in June 2020, when it ruled that the Trump administration did not have sufficient justification for terminating DACA. Although this ruling allowed DACA to continue, the court did not address the question of its constitutionality. As a result, the Trump administration resumed processing renewals, but prevented new applications. However, in December 2020, a federal court decreed that the administration should accept new applicants. It's quite a complex legal situation. What are the next steps in this process? Well, the Biden administration has chosen to appeal the recent Texas court ruling. As of now, the case is being reviewed by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Irrespective of the outcome of this appeals court decision, experts predict that DACA is likely to return to the Supreme Court for another resolution. So, it's safe to say there are still more chapters to come in this legal battle. Thank you for that detailed analysis, Ellie. Beyond the DACA program, what else is the Biden administration dealing with in the realm of immigration? Alongside the DACA battle, the Biden administration is currently facing significant challenges at the southern border due to a notable influx of migrants. 
These circumstances add further complexities to their efforts to reverse Trump-era restrictions and strengthen asylum protections. Despite pledging to establish a pathway to citizenship for DREAMers, their comprehensive immigration reform bill is encountering hurdles in Congress. Gathering enough Republican support to pass seems unlikely. Some Democrats have tried to incorporate narrower immigration reforms, including provisions for DREAMers, into the 2022 budget package. However, divisions within the party regarding how to address the border crisis have impeded progress. It seems like a multifaceted issue requiring careful navigation. Thank you, Ellie, for the insightful and comprehensive analysis of this ongoing immigration battle. We appreciate your expertise in breaking down the complexities of the situation. Thank you, Connie. It was my pleasure to provide an in-depth analysis of this important issue. Welcome back to the Morning News Podcast. In our third story today, we'll be discussing President Joe Biden's upcoming executive order that aims to protect birth control access. To help us dive deeper into this issue, we have our news reporter Arnold joining us. Absolutely, Connie. So this executive order comes exactly a year after the Supreme Court overturned federal abortion protections. It's an important move by President Biden, especially as he and Vice President Kamala Harris have recently received endorsements from reproductive rights groups like Planned Parenthood Action Fund, Narrow Pro-Choice America, and EMILY's List. This highlights the significance of this issue for Democrats ahead of the 2024 election. That's interesting, Arnold. Now, can you explain in more detail what this executive order aims to achieve and what the key concerns are regarding birth control access? Of course, Connie. The concern about birth control access arises from the Supreme Court ruling last year that overturned the constitutional right to abortion. This ruling has raised fears that birth control could also face restrictions. So the executive order aims to address these concerns by increasing access to contraception for women and lowering out-of-pocket costs. It will direct federal departments to consider requiring private insurers to offer expanded contraception options under the Affordable Care Act, such as covering more than one product and streamlining the process for obtaining care. I see. So this executive order specifically targets women's access to contraception. Can you provide some additional insight into how it plans to achieve this? Absolutely, Connie. The executive order will explore ways to make affordable over-the-counter contraception, including emergency contraception, more accessible. This is particularly important for those covered by Medicaid and Medicare programs. The order will also build upon the progress made under the Affordable Care Act to reduce barriers to accessing contraception. The idea is to ensure that women have continued access to and control over their reproductive health. Thank you for that detailed explanation, Arnold. It seems like this executive order is a response to growing concerns about conservatives regulating contraception amid restrictive policies on abortion in several states. Are there any other factors at play here that we should consider? Absolutely, Connie. The push to protect reproductive rights is indeed happening at a time when we are witnessing several states passing restrictive policies on abortion. There is a growing concern that conservatives are expanding their focus beyond abortion and looking to regulate contraception as well. So this executive order can be seen as a response to these concerns by ensuring that women have continued access to contraception and can exercise control over their reproductive health. That's definitely an important point to consider, Arnold. Now, before we wrap up, are there any legislative efforts contributing to this issue? Yes. Certainly, Connie. 
It's worth mentioning that the U.S. House of Representatives previously passed a bill aimed at protecting access to contraception. But unfortunately, it was blocked in the Senate. However, just last week, two senators introduced a new bill with similar goals. For the bill to become law, it would need to pass in both the Democratic-controlled Senate and the Republican-controlled House. So while legislative efforts are underway, this executive order can be seen as a step towards protecting birth control access. Thank you for shedding light on this, Arnold. It's clear that this executive order holds great significance, especially considering the wider context of reproductive rights in our country. We appreciate your insights. Thank you, Connie. It's always a pleasure to contribute to the Morning News Podcast. And thank you, Arnold, for providing us with a comprehensive breakdown of this story. We'll be back after a short break. Stay tuned for more news updates. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made with ChatGPT, Eleven Labs, and a program written by you. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.